Beer and Honey, the German football pod. In today's edition, Bayern bounce back as neuer News Needles Nagelsmann, five star Dortmund Streich lucky against ten man Freiburg. The Hoff are looking for freedom under new management as Andre Breitenreiter gets the bullet and Hertha are in a world of pain again. All this and more in Beer and Honey. Hello, dear listener. Thank you very much for tuning in to Beer and Honey, the German football pod with me. Rafael Honigstein. And me, Christoph Biermann. Today we have lots to talk about and I think we should start in Munich. On the pitch, it was a very good weekend for Bayern. They went to Wolfsburg on Sunday against former manager Niko Kovac and they won 4-2. Joshua Kimmich was sent off, but it didn't really matter all that much. Bayern took an early lead. Kingsley Coman with two goals. Cancelo looking good. And then a wonder goal from Jama Musiala to put the win beyond doubt. This was the first win from Bayern after three draws in the Bundesliga. First league win in 2023, and it came at a good time with all the background <laughs> noise threatening to overshadow uh, almost what happened on the pitch. Uh, Christoph, were you impressed with Bayern, first of all, what they showed? Um, I was impressed, actually, and, and you rightly said um, it was a wonder goal by Jamal Musiala. Uh, it was a return of snake legs. And uh, I mean, I, I don't know how many players uh, he dribbled around, like seven or so. I, think he was I, I didn't seven. count. Some of them, I think, were, were dribbled around twice uh, because he started from the touchline on the side and dribbled diagonally into the field and then cut towards goal. And I think some of them were left behind, then caught up, then were left behind a second time. Just magical. Absolutely amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's a level of how how can you say balance or so that that he showed almost like a dancer because it was so light footed, so 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 elegant how how he he did it. Um, yeah, I mean uh, we voted him in our <laughs> as uh, as the player of the first half of the season. No, we actually voted him the. Uh, a player of the year um, uh, recently at, at the end of last year, and uh, he had a bit of a difficult start to um, to the season or to the second part of the season, and looking a bit uncomfortable, a bit um, I don't know how how to say it. He um, maybe putting him himself too much under pressure. And um, and now I, I think uh, it was a, uh, a a bang. He returned with a bang, and altogether, a Bayern looked impressive. But also, honestly, had some or almost a lot of shaky moments. Also, so it's 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 not the level um, of stability um, that Bayern is probably heading to um, or have to head to. Um, I mean, we have to keep in mind that uh, next week they'll be playing PSG in the first leg of the uh, Champions League. And um, But uh, also um, they had a lot of players missing and... Um, Uh, Upamecano, for example, in, in defense and many others. Uh, Chupo Muteng was, was sick. 
um, Shupomoting was sick, and um, so when you looked at the um, um, at the at the bench, um, there were like mainly young players like Paul Vanna or Stanisic and, and and so on, and and Serge Gnabry, the man from the Fashion Week. But but yes. Uh, um, altogether, it was a very good performance, although uh, uh, Wolfsburg was also impressive. Uh, it sounds a bit strange, but uh, as they have lost uh, three games in a in a row now um, in the week, uh, going out of the German Cup at Union Berlin. But um, uh, this, their, their pressing game looked good. Uh, they defended uh, Bayern high up, but then... Here and then they were um, they were caught by counterattacks and uh, especially I mean they were actually there were two wonder goals also the second goal by Kingsley Coman after a cross from Cancelo that was a a fantastic goal also but Raphael um, we have to talk about the st- the story the Bayern story or the German football story of the weekend and. You're in the middle of it. Um, you were you are you were one of the two guys uh, to go to interview Manuel Neuer last week. Uh, Philipp Zeldorf of Süddeutsche Zeitung was the other one. Um, can you give us some background? Uh, because it was not the usual. You ring up the Bayern press office and then you ask for an interview and talk with the player and and so on. Um, how, how did it go? How was it, the interview set up? It was Manuel Neuer's intention to do this without the interference of the club. It's relevant because in Germany we have a tradition of copy approval, meaning that before you print an interview, uh, both the club and the player or representative will go through it. And it used to be that they just corrected the mistakes or there's a misunderstanding. They meant something and said it the other way, but it it's used as an instrument to take out almost anything that resembles criticism. So you get uh, very safe, not always, but most of the time you tend to get fairly safe interviews. And in this case, it was clear that Manuel Neuer wanted to speak his mind more freely. That's why Philip and I were able to meet with him privately almost, as it were, and uh, and wrote the story and uh, as you said it was a bit of a secret mission nobody was supposed to know about this we traveled to uh, the area near where he lives in uh, Lake Tegernsee very beautiful and hoped that nobody would would find out and also hoped that uh, there wasn't too much uh, drama really because I think you want to um at least I, I don't want to create problems for, for people that I interview. I feel that there's almost a duty of care that you have towards them. But it was clear that in this case, Manuel Neuer had some very specific messages and he wanted to, he wanted somebody to broadcast them uh, to the rest of the world. And uh, you're just the messenger, really. You're the vessel. Manuel Neuer had two key messages. Um, uh, one was telling the story about his uh, skiing accident. And he started with the World Cup being utterly frustrated by how things went in, in Qatar. 
um, that he, he felt alone and a lot of players felt alone in, in the situation with the uh, with the armband. We have discussed about it extensively. And um, after returning from the World Cup, after Germany went out, he... Um, um, he, he wanted to, to, to get rid of these bad feelings. And, and as a sportsman, he, he, he found out that the best way was to, to actually do sports. And in his case, to run a lot. And then he, he thought, ah, yes, uh, maybe a ski tour would be great. And he was saying that he had done this ski tour, um, uh, very often. He, he was calling like, it's, it's like going to the baker for him, like an, an easy stroll. And, and then he got, um, then he got the accident. That was, that was, I think, the first thing he wanted to tell. So to give a bit of background about this uh, injury, because a lot of people were asking, yeah, why on earth is he, he, he going on a skiing tour and so on? But more importantly, or not maybe not more importantly, but um, more controversial, I w would say, is that how he felt about the dismissal of Tony Tapalovic, the Bayern goalkeeper, because um, he was saying that uh, uh, Tapalovic being sacked was like, uh, he felt like as if his heart was, was uh, uh, torn out. Um, uh, how was he when 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 he talked about it? It, it? it sounded very dramatic and very intense. But but how was it when when we were sitting together? Yeah, it was it was very intense. We we spent two and a half hours with him, uh, not all of it on the record, of course. Um, and he said some things that I first couldn't believe because you never seen Manu Neuer talking about his feelings and about being hurt because Manu Neuer is always about projecting strength you know no one can hurt me I always come back I'm you know I'm the number one and this was a insight into a vulnerability and I think this whole interview comes from a place of I am on the ground here I am down and you uh, in the case of Bayern you don't help me because I'm already just on one leg and now you take away my second leg which is really the guy that that helps me so much that has made me the keeper I am and who also would have helped me coming back. Now I have to do without him. So there was a genuine pain that you could hear. And that's why I didn't leave this interview thinking, oh, he's really having a go at buying, you know, he's going on the attack. He, he wants to, you know, cause problems or this is, uh, you know, like Cristiano Ronaldo situation, trying to get out of the club by attacking everyone it didn't feel like that at all. And if you read the interview without the headlines that has sometimes been spun as an attack or, you know, Neuer is going for it, it actually is just somebody saying, this is really, really painful what's happened to me and I don't understand why this has happened to me. And I think the chronology is interesting because in his mind, this has just been one long chain of really unfortunate events that led to each other. So without the World Cup going as badly as it did for the reasons you mentioned, but also sporting reasons, he wouldn't be sitting at home going crazy effectively and then going on a ski run two days later after having run 20 kilometers. Without that, he wouldn't break his leg. Without breaking his leg, Bayern wouldn't fire Tony Tapalovic. That's his thinking. 
So one thing came to or led to the next and it all ended up at a very bad place. And of course he feels sad and disappointed and, and a little bit guilty about getting injured, but he feels what happened afterwards is, is undeserved. And I think there was a third reason, Christoph, that the interview was given. It's also to protect Tony Tapalovic and to say these rumors about him being disruptive and being somebody who leaks information. There's no foundation to that. We've worked together for 11 years under many different managers. He's never done that. He is a great coach who doesn't just coach for me. That was the general perception. But everyone and all the goalkeepers, at least all the goalkeepers who are at Bayern at the moment, because Alexander Nubel might see it differently, were very sad in his mind. And he also stressed the importance of him for uh, the whole team um, because people forget, forget, and I also kind of forgot it, that he was actually assistant coach under Hansi Flick. So he was in a much more important position. He was doing tactical things. He had a real influence on the dressing room. And of course, under Nagelsmann, he was being demoted effectively back to goalkeeping coach only. And I'm sure that was one of the reasons why he and Nagelsmann didn't get along. But Neuer feels that this was like a stab in the back. Um, doing this now, getting rid of Topalovic now when he's sitting at home or doing rehab Uh, on crutches. What surprised me most about this interview, and you already mentioned it, that um, Manuel Neuer in recent years always wanted to give the impression to be invincible. He almost got a machine-like image um, because you never heard something controversial, but not only something controversial, actually something interesting from from him. And, and, and so this almost... Um, by his standards, outburst, um, uh, I found it not only surprising, but in a way I liked it, uh, uh, to be honest, because you, you could see, ah, it's a, he's a human being after all. Um, do you, do you share this perception? No, absolutely. I don't think every, everyone at uh, El Freunde shares that perception, Christoph, <laughs> judging from some of the reactions. But no, I absolutely do. I mean, I always um, knew that he was not a machine, that he was a human being. Um, I always had a good relationship with him. And I think you learn a lot about players and you can distinguish between the public persona and, uh, and the reality. But to see that... Um, so openly and to have somebody kind of open his heart and put himself in this vulnerable position because it's one thing to be vulnerable and to be in pain, but then to mention it, of course, makes it more real in a way and, and lets the whole world know. And that's not a real, that's not a position that, that professional athletes want to be in. Um, they do everything not to be in that. I think there's also... And let's talk about the reaction. I think there's also a problem with this because in sports, and maybe this is more extreme in Germany, I think you're not really allowed to show that kind of weakness. Um, it is almost impossible, I think, to do the interview that he did from a position of weakness. If you do it from a position of strength and you say things that can be seen as uh, an attack or as a disagreement, let's say, People say, okay, fine, yeah, he is, he's the number one. 
he can do it. You know, he's the most important player. It's fine. It's fine. But because now he's in a position of weakness, uh, it's seen as out of line. And why is he speaking up? He's injured, you know. Uh, shut your mouth, just come back and play football. I, I get that kind of vibe with it. And um, it's a shame. It's a shame uh, that it's like that. Um, and my hope is that after the first wave of indignation and, you know, he's not allowed to say this and this is out of order, that more and more people will actually look at the real substance of the of the interview and and understand it the way it was meant to be, which I think was just somebody saying, what you've done to me is really out of order because it hurts me a lot and maybe it will even make it harder for me to come back and uh, play football at my best. And that's my position at the moment. I think that's um, maybe the key of the criticism that he is, um, that Neuer seems to have his own agenda and that it's, the agenda is not in line with the, with the club. And, and so that's the, um, um, the result. He puts himself uh, over the club. Is there an element of truth in this complaint? Of course. Of course, you can say that any interview that is really about a player's feelings and his own position, and it is controversial, is problematic for the club. And therefore, he should be thinking more about what the club, um, what it might do to the club, etc. But if you take a step back and think what has actually happened here, how big is this a negative impact on the club? or in the team, I think it's far more limited and far more measured than people realize. First of all, within the team, I know that a lot of players think he's got a point. Um, things could have been done differently. A lot of players don't have a strong relationship with Julian Nagelsmann. And there isn't a sense of, oh, you know, why is he talking now? Uh, just, you know, be quiet. We have important games coming up. No, in the, within the team, it's a lot more subtle than that. Secondly, Bayern have a history of people disagreeing with each other. Usually it's people upstairs, uh, but sometimes it's players. And when it's not about personal stuff in the sense that I hate this guy or, you know, you hate me, you know, whatever, we've always or often, shall we say, find uh, uh, seen ways of people making up. Um, one of the best examples, perhaps, is, is Lothar Mateus suing the club um, for money after his testimonial. And for 10 years or so, he was basically out in the cold. And then, as has happened with almost every single player uh, who put themselves against certain people from the club in the past, there was a reconciliation and now everything is fine. So I don't see what Manuel Neuer has done as an attack on the club. I don't see that he wants to hurt the club. I think there are certain disagreements with decisions and certain problems with him and some of the stuff that's happened. But he hasn't said FC Bayern is shit. The fans are shit. I don't want to play Munich anymore. I don't respect the team. My players are not good enough. <laughs> I mean, he hasn't done all, any of these things. So I see it not really in the sense of Manuel Neuer against the club. I don't. I think that is a juxtaposition that is far too extreme. I think Manuel Neuer saying some of the things that have happened to me, in my view, are unjustified. 
uh, they hurt me. And I have to sort of get rid of that pain somehow, because if I sit at home and not say anything and just in German, you say kind of eat the pain, it'll hurt me even more. So it had to come out. And I think the club should see it that way. And just to, to finish this, I think the reactions from both Oliver Kahn and Hassan Salihamidzic, while they, of course, express a sense of um, annoyance and disappointment and, um, you know, you shouldn't have done this, they were also quite measured and they weren't nearly as extreme as some of the headlines that we saw in newspapers. What will be the outcome of all this? Will it... Um affect the performance of Bayern in weeks to come? Will it affect the relationship between Manuel Neuer and Julian Nagelsmann? Um, Manuel Neuer is now doing his um, rehab at, at Bayern. So they they see each other, I, maybe not daily, but but uh, uh, pretty often. So so how, how will this all end up? Or um, will this all be forgotten in a week Or two. For the reasons I mentioned, I don't think there's any impact on the team. Look, th this is a goalkeeper who's not playing. He's not playing the season. Talking about a goalkeeping coach who's no longer there. So whatever you know, impact that has on the relationship between Nagelsmann and, and Neuer, that's not something that's going to really worry the players at this moment in time. They will think about PSG. They will think about you know winning games. And Manuel Neuer's thing is somewhere in the background. So I don't see any immediate impact. Of course, in the long run, we don't know because there's so many variables. Is Manuel Neuer fit to play next season? Will he be up against Jan Sommer or will he be up against Jan Sommer and Alexander Nübel? Is Julian Nagelsmann still the coach? I expect him to be, but you never know. If they get knocked out by PSG, maybe things turn against him. So I think... When people say this was a bad moment to to talk about this, you can actually turn it on its head and say this is a good moment to talk about this because we can have now six months to work things out before he's back. It's better to do it now than when he comes back in June, June and July and said, you know, by the way, what you did in six months ago actually hurt me really much. And then people say, okay, well, what's, what happens next? So I don't think it's going to have that much of an impact. I don't think it really hurts the team. Um, there is one historic parallel that's been mentioned a lot, but I think it's worth talking about it a little bit more. Philip Lam gave an interview that was also unauthorized, also uh, meant to criticize the club. Some people might say attack the club, but criticize the club. He was saying uh, back in 2010 that Bayern had no real transfer policy, that they're just buying players because certain players just tend to be good. Uh, where's the system? Where's the strategy? He also criticized um, midfield players saying, I don't see anyone who's moving, who's playing the, the pass. And that was, you know, seen as an attack on Bastian Schweinsteiger and meant as one. But people kind of forgot about it in the meantime. And Lam was fined for this interview very heavily, but came out the victory, the, the, the winner. Um, of course, the difference, once again, was that he was in a position where he was unassailable. He was the best right back in the world at the time, certainly in Europe. And Bayern said, okay, um, it's not great, but uh, what, we can, what can we do? It's Philipp Lahm. So <laughs> Philipp Lahm, give us a bit of money and everything's going to be okay. With Neuer, it's, it could be different simply because we don't know what kind of condition he'll be in when he comes back. And 
just to reiterate, I think that is the biggest problem, that sense of uncertainty and that sense that maybe, for Mananoia, maybe by getting rid of the goalkeeping coach, what you're really saying is you don't want me to come back. And after everything that I've done for this club, after everything that we together experienced, just to have that sense of uncertainty and that suspicion is really painful to him. I think the big difference between um, this interview with Manuel Neuer and the one uh, with Philipp Lahm is um, that, as you uh, has, have described, uh, Manuel Neuer is talking mainly about his situation and his uh, pain, where Philipp Lahm was acting like a politician almost in a way, because at the time he was frustrated about how things went um, at Bayern. Also, he was protecting Louis van Gaal because he, he was thinking that Louis van Gaal was exactly the kind of coach that Bayern needed. Uh, somebody who had a, it was not only a moderator of, of, of stars on the pitch, but also what was having a, a tactical plan and, and he, he could see that um, uh, Louis van Gaal at that time was under fire by the bosses, especially by Uli Hoeneß, because, I mean, we know that Louis van Gaal <laughs> tends to be very big-headed and uh, being big-headed among the big heads at, at Bayern um, uh, caused a lot of problems. But um, but I, I think we should, should, should go from here because... Um, We have some more teams in the Bundesliga apart from from Bayern yeah, and do we? Uh, <laughs> yes, of course. And um, and we have two teams um, that uh, won uh, four out of four uh, games after the restart. One is miraculous uh, Union Berlin with a two-one win against Mainz. Um, in, in typical fashion, I would say, uh, hard worked out win, uh, late goal. Um, and, and funny enough, Kevin Behren scoring again. He was also scoring uh, in the German Cup against Wolf Wolfsburg and uh, in the week. Uh, just a reminder, uh, Kevin Behrens is a, a 32-year-old bloke that came in from SV Sandhausen from the, so the archetypical, uh, second division team in, in Germany. And now he's probably, uh, leading, uh, Union, uh, to, in, in, into the, into the Champions League. Uh, crazy as ever, but also big win for Borussia Dortmund against another top team of the Bundesliga, 5-1, um, against, um, Freiburg. Uh, but, but, um, I mean, it's, it sounds impressive, but, but actually, uh, Freiburg was down one man for 75 minutes. So how value, how, how do you, how do we value this, uh, this big win? Yeah, of course, it, it does come with an asterisk because, um, Sildilia was sent off after 17 minutes and then Dortmund, uh, found it uh, progressively easier. To, to score goals. They scored some very beautiful goals. The Karamadiemi goal was, was very beautiful. And uh, Julian Brandt scored a, a fantastic goal uh, with shades of uh, Roberto Carlos uh, with the kind of swerve on the ball. Uh, not a free kick, but a beautiful, beautiful goal. And very movingly, Sebastian Alea scored his first goal since coming back. 
uh, for Dortmund uh, in front of the yellow wall. Uh, a header uh, wasn't the most difficult finish, but because Dortmund were also uh, commemorating World Cancer Day, it couldn't have been a more fitting um, timing and occasion for him to uh, to come back and, and does what he what he's meant to do. Of course, um, he didn't play the full game, but signs are that he is uh, coming back to full fitness, and it was just uh, a, a great day all round uh, for this Dortmund team. Giorena scored as well. Uh, Schlotterbeck score, uh, scored. So all kind of the, the problem players, if you will, um, had had a good day. And yeah, it's it actually changed, I think, a little bit the mindset because Dortmund, who've been very, very quiet in recent months and for good reason when it comes to talking about um, ambitions to maybe win this thing again for the first time since 2012 actually said you know what we'll, we'll give it a go we'll, we'll see maybe we'll you know we'll, we'll keep pushing and i mean it was a kind of a very cautious declaration <laughs> <laughs> of intent but at least it was one and why not because they were on the same point as bayern before the game uh, Bayern with that win on Sunday back to 40 points but Dortmund on 37 they have a realistic chance as have Union uh, on 39 um, Leipzig they suffered a bit of a setback when they could only draw against Köln but drawing against Köln is not a thing to be ashamed of because Köln have become very very hard to play against and are still unbeaten I think in uh, 2023 I think I'm right in saying so, yeah, we have a we have a title race, Christoph, don't we? Yeah, we we do, and um, also uh, Frankfurt is in it, um, winning three nil against um, Hertha, and um, and and we also have a relegation race, and um, I, I can tell you a bit from my homeland that it's a relegation zone. <laughs> 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 um, and um, I can say, as rightly predicted last week, um, Bochum was defeating um, Hoffenheim and uh, coach Andre Breitenreiter was released on, on Monday. And uh, I think that didn't come as a surprise because um, I've seen the, the game and um, it was appalling how uh, Hoffenheim played. Um, I think I've not for a long time seen a, a team playing with such low intensity as, as Hoffenheim. I mean, it's a good team. Um, it's a, it's a team, uh, with also some, some, uh, peop, uh players, big names from the, um, transfer window. Um, they had John Anthony Brooks coming in as a, a central defender, Thomas Delaney. Um, coming from Sevilla in defensive midfield, and they, this team offer nothing. And um, I mean, uh, Thomas Ledge is is doing a terrific job at at Bochum. They have now five home wins in the row for the first time since 1976 that they managed to have it. And um, yes, so so Bochum is a okay team now and um they they um they have a serious chance to to avoid relegation but but for a team like hoffenheim i, I think it's unacceptable that they lose 5-2 and especially in the way 
um, how they lost. I mean, they were already 3-0 down at halftime. And um, so so after the match in, in Bochum, sports director Alexander Rosen was, was reminding the public that um, they had a similar situation under um, Sebastian Hoeneß when he was coach at Hoffenheim at a time um, Hoffenheim was in the Champions League uh, spots and then they lost or didn't win for nine or ten games and that happened again now under, under uh, Andre Breitenreiter and a bit I, I think a place like Hoffenheim you need a coach um, that uh, or players that bring a lot of intensity because um, the intensity is not normally not within the club because um simple as that it's not many people that care about it and nobody is protesting if they lose or or whatever uh, insulting players and so on it's it's a bit like well if you win or if you lose and um, uh, that's how it is similar situation at wolfsburg at a, um sometimes and um so you can have uh, good teams there, good players um, that don't win anything um, if they don't have the pressure from uh, a coach or uh, Andre Breitenreiter was not able uh, to provide the int uh, intensity needed. Yeah, well, certainly not much intensity from the away fans uh, at Bochum. <laughs> Um, how many did you count, Christoph? I, I, I didn't 12, count or? them, but uh, no, no, it was four hundred, ah, and, uh, okay. and 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 it, it, it actually it tells uh, the story also. So it's a, obviously before that it was an important match, and only four hundred people uh, uh, went there. So um, yeah, that's ridiculous. I mean, if you have a chance to visit Bochum, you know, how can it just be four hundred people? It's. Uh, <laughs> It's shocking. Shocking also, and I think that's uh, the final, the last club we should talk about before we go, is the form of Hertha. And they said, uh, they lost, as you said, 3-0 at Frankfurt. And uh, without Ferdi Bobic, who's also been, already been fired, uh, do we see much future for Sandro Schwarz there? The manager of Hertha. They lost all four games after after the restart. Um, had a halfway decent performance uh, in the derby against Union, but also lost it. And um, so they they are not playing well. They 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 you can see that their confidence is low. I mean, it's I, I think it's in in a, in a way it's normal uh, that you. Use at Hertha, you lose at Frankfurt because Frankfurt is just one of the top teams of the Bundesliga. But then again, you have a three nil, and it's and so next week they um, or next weekend um, they play uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach at home, and uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach to me seems to be a, a bit of a similar case like Hoffenheim, uh, a team that is. Um, Lacking intensity on on the pitch, and you could see, could see that uh, at their nil nil draw at home against uh, Schalke, who were the yeah the more intense team, um, uh, how how they approached duels or so they were were more determination. But um, yeah, so 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 let's see what happens to Hertha. I think um, uh, this game against uh, uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach will will be very important. Well, absolutely. I think Hertha have a real chance of of going down, which might just 
frightened uh, not so much the horses but uh, possible investors uh, there's some rumors that the 777 group might uh, pull out of their proposed takeover of the shares from Lars Windhorst um, couldn't really blame them uh, the way things are going at the moment um, being a minority shareholder in in Hertha is a tricky proposition at the best of times but in Bundesliga 2 hmm, that's going to be very, very difficult. Schalke, unfortunately, will accompany them or will certainly go down the way things are going. They only played out a nil-nil draw against uh, Gladbach. They played well, as they have done throughout 2023 under Thomas Reis, but it wasn't quite enough to get that win. Still not mathematically out of it. They need five points to make up on Stuttgart to make that relegation playoff spot, but it's looking increasingly unlikely. But I think that's all we've got time for. Just a shout out to Kolomuani, Randall Kolomuani. had a fantastic game. Two goals in that 3-0 win over Hertha for Frankfurt. Looking forward to seeing him and indeed the other German clubs in action in the Champions League. And uh, we'll be back before then to discuss match day 20 plus a few extra bits and bobs when the Champions League returns. Until such time, thank you very much for listening. Uh, don't forget, you can and indeed should subscribe to us on steadyhq.com slash en slash beer and honey to keep this wonderful pod on the road. We will be um, on YouTube as well fairly soon. Watch out for that. And uh, some clips showing up hopefully on your Twitter feed and elsewhere on social media. Uh, my thanks to producer York. I was Rafael Honigstein. And I was Christoph Biermann. Bye-bye. Bye. Beer and Honey, the German football podcast.